Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. I'm here with the great Ari Wasserman. And Ari, I, I noticed something the other day that, that disturbed me a little bit. Uh, you know when you Google a team's schedule, before you get to the links to the, the actual team site and all that, Google puts a little box up there with the next few games. Well, okay. now when I do that and I see the next few games, it goes to the end of the season. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's almost r- over. It does. <laughs> I don't know if you're feeling this way, but I actually was thinking about this myself, that it does not feel like it's October 26th. Like the playoff announcements and all that stuff. Like is Maction coming back this week? It is, right? Um, Maction is, is starting next week because he knows a lot of okay. the teams. A lot of the teams are off this week in the Mac. I think. There's a big game, I believe Toledo Eastern Michigan is on Saturday, but for the most part, they they are taking this week off so that they can start their their weeknight action. And yet, yeah, the college football playoff announcements begin next week. The the rankings announcements, and and actually, this is a good time to tell the the folks, the viewers, the listeners that we're going to change the schedule a little bit on the show because we've been doing a show that we record Wednesday that comes out Thursday morning. We're going to move that particular episode to record it Tuesday night right after the rankings come out. It'll come out Wednesday morning. So there will not be a fresh version of this show on Thursday morning, but you will still have Max and Sam and and Stars Matter on Thursday morning. And we just wanted to make sure we gave you a platform as soon as possible to hear me screaming about USC's low ranking. So uh, thank you so much (laughs) to the producers of our show, Cam Molina and and John Hayes for making sure I had that platform and, you know, we're going to ride. So, uh, Super excited about this part. You know what I think it is? I think it's because it hasn't gotten chilly here. I think there's been a warmer a warmer wave. And usually mm-hmm. I doesn't feel like Thanksgiving's a month away either. You know, so Halloween's on Monday. Are you? I know it's crazy. Uh, I'm going to be a prisoner this this weekend. And Brit is a cop. Oh, a sexy cop. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's her. So, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I, she's going to play it up like we're going to a frat party, but. Her face so, will do the job. I remember I told you Catherine, our, our greatest commenter at The Athletic, is going to join us on the show. She's actually <coughs> coming on the show on Monday of next week because she's an LSU fan. It's LSU Alabama week. That game is going to be huge. But it's also Halloween. We're recording that somewhat early on Monday because Halloween is a massive deal in my neighborhood. And so I'm going to need to be in costume, ready to hand out candy pretty early. I may do the show in costume. It is funny you said that because last year was the first year I've ever had to hand out Halloween candy in my life because I always lived in an apartment complex where a bunch of young professionals lived. I never lived in a in a neighborhood before. Right. So last year when people were knocking on our door and stuff, I was like, oh, this is pretty nice. You know, so and I, I made sure I got the good candies this year because I want to be oh. that house that people come up to and are like, you know what? This guy's going to this guy's going to make sure that my day is memorable. You know, you, you know, what? You, you know, what we have we, we have, have to do a, uh, we have all the candy, so we have the big buckets of of different fun size and, and all that stuff, but we have a box that my wife bought of full-size Hershey bars. And does that go to, to the best dressed? The best costumes. That's right. The people who put the most effort into it, they're getting the full size from us. Yes, that's – you know what? That's a – that's a good precedent to send, and I, I'm sure we do this every year, but I think we have to have a random rankings uh, of Halloween candy. Um, have we done that in the past? We have, uh, but we, we can we can do that. We'll what if we do a random do ranking of the five worst? Well, the worst is is Mung, and you saw if you've seen that old Wayne's World skit, and and Mung is that it's either wrapped in orange or black, and it's just this like maybe it's caramel, maybe it's not. No idea where it came from. The provenance is is very questionable. So, oh yeah, the they're Cleveland Browns colors. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's no telling what's what's actually in that wrapper. So I think that, that if that you hand out is the worst. I think if you hand out uh, Smarties on Halloween, you should be arrested. <laughs> See, I actually like the Smarties a little bit. I, I think if you hand out toothbrushes on Halloween, you should be arrested. And that, every dentist does that. And it's, <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. Really annoying. Well, it's just so, another way to assert dominance against other parents to tell them that you make a lot of money. I think that's probably what that is. Even more so than my hat. toothbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like oh yeah, hey. Hey, I think they have a hookup though because I'm a they're dentist. dentist. Yeah. They can buy them wholesale. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> well, 
but the, with this coming, so next Tuesday night, we're going to get a playoff ranking. So we're going to see where everybody falls. And I, I will advise everyone now, do not assume that because the AP poll says one thing and the coaches poll says one thing, the committee will do that. I think we've seen through the history of the committee, the committee's kind of done its own thing. And then the AP poll and coaches poll adjust to that. So because I can tell you one thing for sure. The people in the committee room are doing a hell of a lot more work and putting a heck of a lot more research into their poll than the AP and, and coaches polls, and rightfully so. But like it's having gone through that exercise, I have a very uh, different appreciation of what they go through. So um, very much excited to see what happens. But yes, I, I think that this is a lead into something else, though, Andy. I do believe it is. Because I think we should have a, another discussion about Clemson. We're not going to relitigate the quarterback debate that we had the other night. We don't need to. Dabo Sweeney has settled that for us. But the the where this came up, my whole idea of that Google screen that shows me to the end of the season was I looked up Clemson's schedule, and and I'm looking at the end of the season. So they are off this week. They're at Notre Dame, or they, they, then they've got Notre Dame. They've got Louisville. They've got Miami, and they've got South Carolina. And I don't know that anybody can beat Clemson. So, and only one of those games is on the road. I think uh, the Notre Dame game, and yeah. nothing Notre, nothing about Notre Dame has suggested to me that they can beat Clemson. Uh, probably North Carolina in the ACC championship game, but it's the Coastal. We'll see. But none of those teams necessarily, except maybe South Carolina, feel like they can beat Clemson. But Clemson doesn't feel like it can beat any of the teams that might make the playoff. So this is this is where it gets weird, right? Yes, and I don't know. They always say in the committee the number one rule is that you cannot project forward, right? Right. That is like the the cardinal sin of being on the playoff committee. So when you say, and the the question that I asked about being at the when Bill Hancock called me a degenerate was, can you use gambling lines to help parse through who's better? I think the first reaction was, why do you think we would ever look at gambling lines, you degenerate loser? But the other question of it was, why would we ever use a resource that helps us predict the future? Um, because that's not what we do. So but when they, you sit they, there they and have say access that. access to like ESPN's FPI, the, uh, our friend Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, those are predictive rankings. But whether or not Clemson could win a semifinal game is not part of the discussion. So if they are the fourth team in and one of only four teams that have a resume, and probably theirs will be because they're undefeated, that suggests that they should go, that they will go as a result. And you know what kind of this reminds me of a little What's bit? That? And I think it reminds me a little bit of the Florida State team that made the college the football playoff in the inaugural year. Because as a three it, seed, right? They, they, they I were think the, they were the three seed. Ohio yeah. State was four that year. No, no, that was the second year. No, Ohio State was four that year. And then yes. Florida State got their doors blown off by Oregon in the first round. Mm -hmm. And they, they were not a very lolly. good team. And you and you could tell through the well, I mean, they were a good team. They made they won every game, but they were not an elite team, and you could tell as that season went on that they weren't. Like they like Dalvin Cook was a freshman that year, bailed him out at Louisville. Like they should have lost that game. Uh there were other games that that were pretty tight that that probably they could have gotten knocked off. And that's that's where it feels like Clemson is right so now. So do they, you they feel like that when you watch Clemson play of like this team's not going to lose? They're better than everybody for them in their conference, but they are not elite. Like, are you with me on that? I do feel that way. And I, I was thinking, okay, their defensive line is nasty. That gives them a puncher's chance against anybody. But after watching the Syracuse game, I I, I don't think I feel that way. I, I, I Their defensive line is still very good. And uh, if you listen to Prospects to Pros with me and Dane Brugler this week on the Athletic Football Show feed, we explain how six of those guys may get drafted. But as a whole, no. If, if, if you told me Clemson's playing Ohio State, Clemson's playing Georgia, Clemson's playing Tennessee, Clemson's playing Alabama, uh, Clemson's uh, – TCU, I don't know, but – well, here's I the here's the would thing. Score quite a few points on them, and the reason why it reminds me of the Florida State in fourteen is because even though past experience and past uh, results aren't supposed to play a factor in anything that the committee does, Clemson's helmet helps them have more trust in what they might be able to accomplish. Now, if you mm -hmm. had Clemson's roster um, and at TCU. The, 
Or if you had Clemson's roster wearing Carolina blue and they were 7-0. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know that they would be the shoe-in to be the fourth. So like when the rankings come out, um, I would anticipate that Michigan, if everybody takes care of business this weekend, would be ranked ahead of them. And I right. think that I would probably slot them at five. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the yellow brick road to the final four. But, but so the, like that, it, it, right. And the question is, let's say let's say Tennessee beats Kentucky this weekend. Does the Tennessee Georgia lo- like is the Tennessee Georgia loser worse than than Clemson? Is the Ohio State Michigan loser worse than Clemson? And I feel like that will probably be a legitimate debate if Clemson is sitting there undefeated. Yeah, I think that uh, that is probably going to happen at some point because there will be a second candidate in the SEC and there will be a second candidate out of the Big Ten if Ohio State and Michigan have a combined loss of who wins or loses that game. Yeah. Um, and based on what I know about the committee and the history of it, the undefeated Clemson team will likely win out on it. Now, maybe not if it's an SEC team, if it's Georgia. No, especially if it's Georgia. Like if Tennessee I loses can't. to Georgia. Yeah, maybe. Especially if Oregon is the Pac-12 champ. I don't think that Tennessee would get in over Clemson as a one-loss non-champ because they won't even play in their conference championship game. Right. Um, And they also aren't – they don't give you that bias or that innate bias that exists whether or not you want to admit it or not. Right. Uh, You you know that power T helmet. It is familiar to you, but you – if you – unless you're a little bit older, it's not familiar to you as a dominant program. Yes. So – so the thing with Clemson is, and I, and I made this point to you earlier, and I want to make it on the show. I want to stress, and I want everyone to hear me loud and clearly, that I have a great respect for what Dabo Sweeney built at Clemson. He is the model for what every new coaching hire is trying to accomplish, which is to take a good team or a mediocre team. Clemson, in his case, was good and turn them into elite one. Oh, and no, they I, were mediocre when he took over. Yeah, and so to me... I don't ever want it to be lost on the listeners of how much I respect and admire what he's done. And the fact of the matter is, is he's the only person in the last 15 years who's come, who's done it, you know, and everybody else is trying to accomplish that. So that in and of itself, you put him on the podium or the the Mount Rushmore of the current coaches. That said, uh, I don't like the way they are trending. I haven't liked the way that they are trending and I am very curious to see if they can go back because if anybody can get back to being elite every single year, no matter what, it's Clemson. But I would like to see um, some different recruiting results, a little bit better recruiting results. And I would like to see some of the rules that he has relaxed a little bit. Um, And if that happens and when it happens. Do what Alabama does in terms of spot recruiting out of the portal. Like when Alabama identifies a deficiency, they go into the portal and get the best of that person that's available. And Clemson's taken out of the portal, right? Uh, they took Hunter Johnson, who was a former Clemson player. So if you're going to take one, then the rule doesn't exist anymore. It's either an all or none. You know, are you in he, or you're he out? He said he's willing to engage in the portal. Like he he has said that. Yeah. So, so I don't I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. You know, I one time I saw an Amish person at an air at an airport. I cannot wait to hear where the story's going. And I just like thought to myself, like, why are you here? Okay. <laughs> Because you and, I'm, and it's not it's not a disparaging comment. I respect everybody's choice to live their life the way that they want to live it, but they don't use, and it's their belief not to use um, motorized things out of convenience. Uh-huh. So if you are going to be at the airport, then why didn't you drive here, right? Or why don't you drive? Because either are you're you, in are, or, you or you're assume out. That person took a buggy to the airport. I don't. I have no idea how they got there. I, there, I, would, there are, I hope aren't there Amish people who had who had like pay phones installed outside their house because the religion only said you couldn't have the phone inside the house, but you could have it outside the house. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm not an expert. People who are, are expert on the Amish way. I, it's sort of like the you know you hire the Shabbos goyim to yes, do things for and you. it's the same thing with Judaism. Uh, if you are, in my opinion, not going to partake in those behaviors and you get somebody else to do it for you, it's the same thing as doing it yourself. So either you're in or you're out. Um, and with the, with the portal, um, either you're in or you're out. So if you're in, then you can dive all the way in. So, you know, that to me, like Clemson to me is a very, very good program. Um, it probably, I'm just imagining Jamal as an Amish person now. And it is. Yeah. Tremendous. Well, just like, like I wanted to walk up to the guys like, barn. where are you going? Right now, because I'm assuming if an Amish person's at the airport that they're taking a cross country trip. 
Because if you're going to break the rule, then you're going to make it count. From Rumspringa. You think they're picking them up on the other side of the terminal or on the at other the side end of, of Rumspringa the- to bring them back into the fold? Yeah, I watched that that series about them. Uh, Rumspringa. Yeah, I, I I wasted on, lots of. I was really fascinated by it, but I was just like, wanted to go up and be like, where are you going? I will see you when you get there on your horse. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I it's like now, now, you I'm imagining, you now I'm imagining there is a, there is a horse drawn carriage in the white zone, which is for loading and unloading. And they're picking up an Amish teenager who has just finished Rumspringer. Like they're coming back from Daytona beach <laughs> and they're going to take him back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, they were born in an airport. Dabo so. driving. You know, so that's like that's my thought process on it. It's like you can, and it's the same thing with with uh, uh, Oklahoma's no visit policy. You know, if you have a five star quarterback who wants to take a visit or a highly ranked player um, who wants to take a visit, then the no visit policy has to exist for the five star the same way it would for a low end three star, or the rule doesn't exist. So um, that to me is like you got to either be dedicated to the game or you're not in the game. And like Clemson's rules have been steadfast, but now I kind of see them loosening a little bit and I won't have faith in their ability to be Alabama again until their rules are completely off, off the hinges and they're completely back in. Well, we will find out. I'm not sure Notre Dame can beat him. Maybe South Carolina, maybe Shane Beamer's crew can beat him. Maybe North Carolina. Cause we, we love Drake may their defense stinks. That game could be a, uh, a 63 to 61 game, but it'll be really interesting to watch Clemson going forward because like with that Florida State team in 2014, you thought, okay, this week will be the week that it, it comes back to bite them in the butt. I'm not sure there's a bite them in the butt game coming for Clemson, which will make what the committee has to do very interesting. But Ari, we have to take a break. When we come back on the other side, your former Ohio State beat partner at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, Doug Lamarice, will join us. Doug is the one who asked Kirk Ferentz that really pointed question on Saturday. Doug is the one that Kirk Ferentz is happy he has a better job than. We'll talk to Doug about all that when we come back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Kirk, why are you willing? Why are you willing to change a player's position to put in a new quarterback in the middle of the year, but you would not be willing to evaluate an assistant coach and make a decision in the middle uh, of the I year? I think you're talking about two separate job descriptions and two separate, uh, you know, areas of responsibility. Uh, I know people do it. Uh, I know it's been done. It's been done this year. Again, it's just not my preference. Uh, you know, my preference has been to play it out. Uh, and there's evidence to show that you know it's worked pretty well in the past, so we'll play it out, and then we'll do our assessments and our evaluations uh, when everything's not over. And uh, the season's not over, so when the season's over, we'll make an evaluation. I think it's best for our program. You have one of the least productive offenses in the country. I've do you, noticed it, yeah. Everybody's noticed it. Do well, you believe you. that you're putting the Iowa football program in a bad spot by having that kind of production on one side of the ball, and it's run by one of your family members? It's got no uh, no bearing on who the person is. Right? It's uh, just a matter of who uh, is coaching our football team. Okay, the guys on our staff are guys that I think that have demonstrated success. Uh, they're good people, and we're going to keep pushing for it. I don't, I don't feel like we're doing anything wrong. When you get to the end of the year and you do make that evaluation, will evaluating Brian be any different than evaluating any other assistant coach? We, we've uh, we stopped tried to treat everybody with consistency on our staff, past and present. Same thing with players. Got three family members play as well in our program, and uh, you know they got to earn everything they get, just like coaches do. That is Kirk Ferentz being grilled by our friend Doug Maurice. Doug, how are we doing? I've done hundreds of podcasts with Ari Wasserman, and I jump on this one, and the first thing I hear is, "I saw an Amish person in the airport." <laughs> of course, <laughs> it is good to be back with Ari Wasserman. Well, of I was going to tell everybody uh, before we talk to you about the awesome story you wrote that 
if you hate me or you hate the way I approach my job or anything, <laughs> you're the person to blame. Like without Doug, there's no Ari. So like I, uh, uh, you're, you're the guy. I, I do. Andy, I kind of feel like Ari's my son and you're like this new stepdad. Am I the cool stepdad or am I the dorky stepdad? That's the question. No, no. Ari loves his new stepdad. And no matter how no matter how old I get, I'll never not have a need for well, Doug. Yeah, Doug, you were you were my inspiration when I voted on the AP poll. I I adjusted my voting to vote just like you. So uh, I I always appreciated that. And we've we've actually talked about that on the show before. But I want to talk about you grilling Kirk Ferentz with listen. Sometimes those questions need to be asked. And Kirk Ferentz has been asked some fairly pointed questions. Our, our own Scott Dockerman at The Athletic asked if asked Brian Ferentz if he was going to step down at one point. Uh, but what you asked, given the fact that it was the first time they'd made a quarterback change this season, seemed like a legitimate question. But, man, he didn't want any, any part of that. Yeah, I'll be honest, like rewatching that, it's really kind of a nine. I was like, oh, wait, here comes the interrogation. I was like, what? Oh, no, that's all I asked. Um, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm not shocked, I guess, by it. I just knew that I thought this was an issue. I, I'd made snarky comments on Twitter about it. And I thought, well, if Kirk Ferentz is coming to where I cover games, I'm going to have to ask him about it, right? I, I want to write about it. And so I have to ask him about it. But um, I just think you do have to ask people questions like that. Everybody in the country is talking about it. So, like, you have to ask when the person's right in front of you, you, you have to ask about it's, it. It's, it's also it's, being fair to not them. Ask. Right. It's also out of fairness to them to give yeah. them a chance to respond. And, and he did. And he, his reasoning behind this is I have never made an assistant coach change midseason before, and I'm not going to start doing it now. And listen, he's had a very successful career. So, as an ex- as an answer, we can we can go with that. Now, I I would argue your, your offense has never been this bad before, so perhaps it's time to try some unprecedented things. But I, you're right; you have to ask him that, and that is a that's the question. This is why I, when when they bring in the kid reporters, sometimes I feel like they're better at our jobs than us because sometimes we dance around the question that all the the listeners, readers, viewers want asked. You actually asked it, Doug. It's why we had press passes, man. I mean, it's like everybody can talk about this stuff, but if they hang that thing around your neck and they let you in the room, like you owe it to the fans to ask stuff that they want to know about. And so, you know, and it's fine. Like, and I just, I, to be clear, like I, I thought it was fine. And I think what he, how he has responded at every level is fine. I wrote a very critical column. He has every right to say all this stuff, but just like any idea that it's, um, I just find the word like interrogation, like interesting. Cause I just, I just thought it was, it's clearly a thing that people are talking about. And when the whole world's talking about something, you have to go to the source and well, say, I, I, what do you think of this? I read your column on that and I disagreed with one line in your column because you said Kirk Ferentz isn't a King. I would argue that in Iowa city, based on the terms of his contract, he very much is a King. Because there's there is nothing you can do to him. Uh, Gary Barter, the athletic director, has no control over him. Uh, they they can't do anything because they're stuck with a giant buyout if they wanted to to make any sort of change with him. So he literally is a king. And our friends at the shutdown forecast uh, years ago, I don't know how many Kirk Ferentz contract extensions ago this was, but they tried to picture how large of a castle Kirk Ferentz could actually build in Iowa mm. City. Like how deep would the moat be? And I, I think he's he's sort of built that up figuratively. But I do want to his his response to you or, or when someone asked about that yesterday, which was Tuesday. Uh, I, I do want to play that for everybody, just so that you, you've used the word interrogation. I, this is where that comes from. Uh, I compliment the guys on Sunday, just you know, because um, during the questioning, uh, in some cases, interrogation on Saturday that I, I uh, uh, experienced. And the one good thing about that, it dawned on me coming home, you know. I said, man, as bad as today was, it could have been worse because I could have been that guy, you know. I could have been that guy, like had his job and had to act like he did. So, yeah, it could be a hell of a lot worse, right? Things aren't all bad. 
Yes, yes, Kirk. Making millions of dollars while never being held accountable for anything is amazing work if you can get it. That's the job I want. <laughs> I love that you're casually eating right now. <laughs> <laughs> is that jerky? What was that? A college football podcast, man. Like what? What? Could yeah, your life's pretty best? good. Um, this is my best life, man. You know, I thought that the column was really good. Um, obviously, I texted you about it, and but there was something that I didn't know, and maybe I've got to give. Some credit to our pal Ralph Russo, but the line, frenemy. Uh, my frenemy, and I was on his podcast, and somebody tweeted at him, "Why did you bring that weirdo on your podcast? Don't hang in the mud with him." So uh, that's how people feel. But this is the thing that stood out to me. And first of all, I want to give you props because he got Gary Barda in the podcast, or I mean, in the column that in he the wrote, column, yeah, the and AD. asked him the same questions. And there's no cool video to go with it, but hearing from him because he's technically Brian Ferentz's boss to skirt the nepotism rule, I guess is that I wanted to hear from him and you, you were made that possible, but here's the line that really stood out to me, Doug. These are just a few examples. Uh, Ralph Russo, of the associated press looked before the season and found that head coaches employing family members at 25 of the 65 power five schools, which is a 38% nepotism rate. Like that to me, th- this is the football issue, right? Like we're talking about an offense that stinks and everybody's laughing at. But I was dumbfounded by the how high that percentage was. I mean, is that just like a thing in college football that needs to be eradicated? Like, what's your take on that? Oh, I, I think it should. And it's certainly, that's the whole point. It's, this is not rare. You know, Bobby Bowden did this. Joe Paterno did this. Jim Harbaugh does this. Like, it is it is very common. And then, you know, you look at the Shanahan's or whatever other family, and it, it's celebrated a lot of the time. And listen, yes, the children of coaches can be qualified. For jobs, but Brian Ferentz has worked for two people in his whole life: his dad and his dad's friend Bill Belichick. Right? Jay Harbaugh, I think, has worked for two people in his whole life: his dad and his uncle. So it's one of these things you don't even know if they're qualified because they don't go out into the world and earn their stripes and then come back and say, "Oh, you know." And I'm not that doesn't automatically make them bad coaches, but this is the status quo, and it stinks, especially at state institutions. Why is this allowed to happen? And the idea that Iowa has a rule in place to prevent it, and then they circumvent it, and here we are. I just, I don't think we should stop pointing it out because I think it's too prevalent. I think it's bad for college football. I think it denies other people whose dads aren't coaches opportunities they deserve. It doesn't mean that nobody should ever be allowed to coach if your dad's a coach, but, but, there has to be a better way about this. And it's been an old boys network for a long time. We're progressing in the world. We're opening our eyes to a lot of things. Maybe we should open our eyes to this. And just because Bobby Bowden did it doesn't mean we have to be okay with Kirk Ferentz doing it. And then, you know, if you're winning, okay. Right. I still, I don't, I don't like it anyway, but so, if you're winning, well, you know, but then when you lose, this is what you get. Oh, so we got another guest, guys. By the way, I'm bringing on uh, NBC Notre Dame play-by-play guy Jack Collinsworth. Let's talk about Jack Collinsworth. Let's talk about. Oh wait, no, no. Okay, I actually thought we had another guest. I was like, well, who's coming on the show right now? No, uh, <laughs> I just it, it felt like a natural, you know, transition. But no, you want to know my favorite one of these was my favorite one of these was was Bobby Petrino at Louisville the second time around, the one where he got fired. At the end, he had two sons-in-law on his staff. He had essentially made. He turned assistant coaching positions into dowries, which is just incredible. Well, it's it's also happening at Ohio State to a certain extent, right? Urban Meyer's son-in-law, Corey Dennis, is... uh, Yeah, who who was never a full-time assistant anywhere before, and now he's a quarterback's coach at Ohio State. And again, I'm not... And they're winning, and their passing game is great. Quarterback is playing well, so that's okay. Okay, but also, like, I didn't love it, and I've pointed that out a million times before. And by the way, it's been pointed out to me, I knew this but I was trying to streamline my point a little bit. Iowa's recruiting coordinator is Kirk Ferentz's son-in-law. Speaking of sons-in-law. So, I mean, like, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. And I don't think it should be this prevalent. It shouldn't be this normal. And so you point it out when things are going poorly, and I hope it increases discussion around it. And, again, it's not a, a state university football program is not a family business. And right. I think we've allowed the the super powerful coaches, especially to treat it that way. And why? And it's because I was scared to be in Nebraska. So you let Kirk do whatever Kirk wants to do. And I just don't think that's a way to operate. And somebody in charge at Iowa 
should stand up to this. And there, yes, but the person in charge at Iowa is Kirk Ferentz because they've given him absolute power because they gave him a contract that they can't get out of. And it's the same. We this this actually dovetails with what we talked about, Doug, on our last show, which was like the Jimbo Fisher deal or the Mel Tucker deal or the James Franklin deal, where you've essentially locked yourself into this person so thoroughly that you've you've granted them absolute power and you have no leverage over it. Like there is no leverage that Iowa has over Kirk Ferentz. They cannot make him do anything. Gary Barta is Brian Ferentz's boss officially, but unofficially Kirk Ferentz is Gary Barta's boss. So yeah. there's, there's nothing you can do about it. Now I will point out like the Bobby Bowden one, Bobby at least figured it out. Like he fired Jeff Bowden mid season, by the way, after they got shut out by Wake Forest. Now, I blame Dave Clawson for screwing up our compare. Like, people now are like, well, what's wrong with getting shut out by Wake Forest? Wake Forest is good. No, back then, like, if you got shut out by Wake Forest, that was real, real bad. It's sort of like the uh, Tommy Bowden, when he got fired at Clemson, said, you know, never lose to Wake Forest on a Thursday night. Like, but, you know, I, I was, digress. I was just thinking, like, if Andy is my stepdad and you're my dad, am I a product of nepotism? <laughs> yes, very much so. <laughs> but no, you went out into the world. You went out into the world on your own and spread your wings. Young. Yeah, no, I know. It was some very well, uh, high-powered bosses early in my career. Shane Beamer is a really interesting example of this. Shane Beamer did not want to work for his dad at first. Like, he worked for George O'Leary. He worked for Philip Fulmer. He eventually went back and worked for, for Frank Beamer, but I think he'd worked for Spurrier at that point and one or two others. And I would argue that Shane Beamer is a better head coach for that. Having that very broad experience, also working for Kirby Smart and Lincoln Riley and, and, and a whole bunch of people. And it's just a dangerous situation when you hire somebody that you're not willing to fire. Yeah. And, you know, I get Kirk has never done it, but you can run through the list of people who have been fired. Boise State fired its offensive coordinator this year. Rutgers fired its offensive coordinator this year. Indiana fired its run game coordinator. There are two head coaches in the Big Ten West and Kirk's own division who have been fired this year. And so like that's not good enough. And you look at Ohio State a year ago, Kerry Combs and Ryan Day, they were buddies. They knew they'd work mm-hmm. together. Kerry Combs had been a great assistant at Ohio State previously, and he wasn't getting the job done. And he got demoted after week two, and everybody knew he was going to be gone. Like this is and, – and the idea that like – I think Bart even said it. Somebody did. It's like, well, you know, what are you going to get by firing a guy with five games left? And I'm like – Better, a better offense. The new offensive <laughs> coordinator. What are you, you going to get for so, the five game? What's this the is upside? <laughs> this is something I've been thinking about watching Iowa's offense. I, I'm curious, Doug. Help me out with this one. If if we taught Ari, you know, like how many guys have to be on the line of scrimmage? How you know where where each one has to stand relative to the line of scrimmage to make sure it's a legal formation, and you know gave him like a rudimentary playbook like a 10 or 10 or 15 play basic playbook and said, Ari, you're now running the Iowa offense. How much worse would that actually be than, than Brian Ferentz? How much better? I don't think it would be that much worse. I'm really good at Madden guys. I mean, that is, it's, it has reached that point, which again is, I mean, it's the, the whole point of this is about the players and about the fans and about owing it to everybody to put them in the best situation to win. I'll choose this. I'll take this opportunity to, to promote my own national Absolutely. college football show, the college football survivor show. And we talked about that today. We were trying to figure out, could there be like a coach podcaster, almost job swap. And I actually proposed the idea of Ari Wasserman calling plays at Nebraska, right? And then we can have Kirk Ferentz come on and be a podcaster, like an undercover boss kind of thing. Everybody, we all get to know each other a little better. And in the end, We'd all be friends. I think Kirk right? Ferentz actually would be, with some reps, a very good co- podcaster. He has a very dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, he's a funny guy. Like if you if you get to talk to him off the cuff, and I don't dislike Kirk Ferentz. Like I know we we pile on on this show, but he gets paid millions of dollars. There's going to be some criticism. I, yeah. I had a guy tweet at me on Tuesday saying, "Boy, you guys are sensitive. You can't take any criticism." I'm like I get criticized every day for a fraction of the price. Of Kirk Ferentz. Have you read my mentions? Like when Ari talks about a cooler and people want us talking about cover two, they yell at me. Like, so it, it's not that it, it is your fault, but we all get criticized in our jobs. Every single one of us is not just our profession, it's everybody's profession. Yeah. When you make that much money 
and it is the fans that are paying your salary. You can say, oh, it's the donors or whatever. I'm not going to say it's the state because it's not. It is the the people who pay the athletic department. It is the people who pay their cable bills to watch the games. That's who pays your salary. You do owe an explanation to them. You may think you don't, but you do. So I just want to make it clear. Like I, I do not, I have zero problem with what Kirk Ferentz said at his news conference. And I don't, he, whatever he thinks the, the issue is that he employs his son, who I don't think was qualified to get the job in the first place to run the worst offense in college football. Like that is the issue yeah. here. I, I know people, some people are upset by how he's handled this, but, but that's not the issue that, that right. why it is defensible to just have Brian doing this when the offense has been bad. They won 10 games last year in spite of the offense. Yeah. And now here we are. I mean, that is, it's, it's not defensible. Well, and, and, and the offense is historically terrible. And yeah. my question is how much better could Iowa have been? Cause Iowa has been good. Thanks to the defense. How much better could Iowa have been with even a reasonably competent offense? And Brian Ferentz is a very good offensive line coach. Like, he has proven that, but he has not proven he can coach quarterbacks or run an offense. Yeah. And these are the jobs that he's been employed in, and it is completely fair given that he makes $900,000 a year at a state school to ask questions about that. Their defense is really good. I wasn't sure how good their defense was, but it's they get Ohio State like real problems. And yep. again, it's it's just that the, the offense is just three and out every time. And it just it puts everybody in a tough spot. And you just when you were at a program like that, I was a good job, man. I was a good job. You owe it, you owe it to the people of the state and the players in the program to get the best people you can find to coach that program. And it, there's no way that Brian Ferentz is the best person that you could find to run the Iowa offense. It's just not true. He may or uh, may not be better than Ari Wasserman. Uh, well, I, I want to say one last thing, Doug. I know you got to get out of here. Um, just to feel like old times sake. Do you hmm. mind? Oh boy. Who would you rather have Mayan Williams and Trey Henderson or Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards? Ooh. I'd rather have Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. I mean, I think Donovan Edwards and, Fabian Henderson are comparable right there in the same recruiting class. Ohio State looked at Donovan Edwards. I wasn't sure how good Blake Corm is. Again, I think I think he's a difference maker. And I think the Ohio State running game is good enough. But um, I, I think I'd take the other guys. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to ask an Ohio State-related question just to, yeah, to, to grab like nostalgia. It. So Doug Maurice is a, a very successful columnist at Cleveland.com. I I used to work there. I love of what they do. You got to go read this column that he wrote. Kirk Ferentz is falling in love with Iowa fans and his son, Brian Ferentz should be fired. Um, and what you named the nine podcasts you're on. I can't even. Yeah. So I host Buckeye talk five days a week. If you care about Ohio state football, we invite you to try that. And then the college football survivor show. Uh, it's every Wednesday plus a, a bonus show for Apple podcast subscribers every Tuesday with my great co-host Shahan J. Haraja. So uh, Shahan and I were on the playoff committee together. Really good dude. The, the mock playoff committee. Uh, so, Doug, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you. And it's good to see your face again. Great to be with you guys. And and listen, good luck getting into the coaching profession. I know you guys can do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Hey, we'll we'll take the criticism. It's Ari's biological father, Doug Larry Maurice. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll be right back after these words. All right. So I'm thinking about this, this playoff thing. And, and we talked about this last week where we've not really focused much on the CFP because the season's been so fun. Mm -hmm. It feels like so much is going on, but the, they are going to have a meeting like the commission. Not the, I, I get the playoff actual. There's a lot happening there, but the I, I, yeah, I not the you. commissioners, different hotel, same general area of, of Texas, but the, the committee's going to meet this weekend. They're, they're going to watch all the games together. They're going to talk about, what what happened and well they're not watching the games together this week they, but they will they will meet up Monday they'll they'll hash everything out Tuesday they'll release the rankings let's assume chalk for the weekend Ari so Kentucky does not upset Tennessee let's see who else uh, Alabama wins you know or sorry Alabama's off so uh, let's assume chalk mm -hmm. what do you think it's going to look like. 
Georgia one, Tennessee two, Ohio State three, Michigan four, Clemson five, TCU six, Alabama seven, mm-hmm. uh, Oregon eight, okay, Oklahoma State nine, mm-hmm. and USC ten would be my top ten if I had to pick what they're going to do. So that's a that but is a very I, interesting one. But there is one weird thing out there, and that is Alabama might be higher than I put them. So like that to me, like I don't know what they're going to do with Alabama. Will Alabama be ranked ahead of any of the unbeatens? I think is an interesting thought process going into that. That is a good question because it does feel like the committee has has done that in the past, and you know, if degenerates like you had their way and they actually looked at lines or or did consider what point spreads might be, Alabama would be ranked ahead of several undefeated teams. Like, would Alabama beat Michigan? You know, this year, I'm not saying that's an automatic yes. I think that'd be yeah. a pretty fun game. See, that's the thing with Alabama this year. It's like everybody gets so angry about Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt and they're indestructible. And no matter what, even when they lose, there's no penalty. It's like this year when you watch Alabama, they've had a lot of close calls. They've already lost a game. I don't think this year's Alabama is going to get the same benefit of the doubt that the previous years. You want to know why they got the benefit of the doubt in the past? Because they were freaking awesome. They were way better. Yeah. Yeah. So like, they're, they're fine this year for Alabama standard. And that still probably puts them in the top seven. And as they control their own destiny, they might still crack the playoff by the end of it by winning these games, but they have to prove they can win those games or they're not going to get in, which is a, a, a little bit different. Well, no, it's the same exact scenario as it was last year. Well, Walt, Walt in the chat with a good question. Tennessee is undefeated with the best win in the country. What is Georgia's argument to be number one ahead of I them? think you can make the case that what Georgia did to Oregon's good. better. Yeah. I don't think it's better. I think I, I think beating beating Alabama is a better win than beat than, than I think beating ah, I know, Alabama beat Oregon. Beating mm. Alabama is a better win. But the way they beat Oregon, no deficiencies on offense or defense, complete domination, and then watching Oregon throw up 45 points or 50 points or whatever it was against UCLA. The, you know, and I know teams morph, but you know, I think that there's two things that you can think one, which team do you think is a better football team? Which I think most people would say, Georgia, fair or not. And Tennessee fans, listen, Tennessee, you beat great news, Walt. They play in Athens next week. So that'll all get settled. So it's irrelevant. But like my (laughs) point too, is like Tennessee, you beat Alabama, you're back, but let's not get, you know, we should be number one. And, Let's not get ahead of ourselves over our skis. You think you should be number one? We'll find out in 10 days from now. But that, for, well, that's the thing. Like Tennessee is not, I realize that Tennessee has not been one of the chosen and part of the power structure, but Tennessee is an SEC team with a brand. Right. All, you don't have to worry about getting treated unfairly here. Right. Yeah. They, they Just have, keep winning and you're fine. Yes. Yes. And even if they lose close to Georgia, they have a legitimate chance. And I, the, the thing that we talked about Clemson earlier, like I would be interested to see, let's just say Georgia runs the table and finishes the season undefeated, right? They yeah. beat Tennessee by t- 13. Okay. So not a blowout, but competitive game, but still mm-hmm. the better team won. Then yeah. they go drop Alabama in the SEC championship game. Who wins out uh, their side? Mm-hmm. Then Tennessee is a one loss team with a competitive loss to Georgia on the road um, versus Clemson who is unbeaten. I think that would be a very hard head-to-head thing right. to and, parse and Tennessee, Tennessee at that point would have wins against Alabama and a road win against LSU, which if LSU, in your scenario, Alabama beats LSU, somebody has to win that game. Like yeah. one, of, one of them's going to lose, so it doesn't really matter. But it could be a win against Alabama who winds up, what, would wind up t- uh, – 11 and two in that scenario and probably number eight ish and and LSU would wind up nine and three in, in that scenario. I think there would be a very good case for Tennessee over Clemson there, but I don't know. Yeah. Unbeaten power. Who's made the playoff basically every year versus new kid on the block who knocked off Alabama at home and plays in the sec, I think is the most exciting discussion that you could possibly have and probably a pretty good case to expand at the 12 yeah. uh, this year. So um, the one thing I, I kind of kicked myself for when we were talking earlier about Clemson that I didn't get out that I want to get out, Andy, is mm-hmm. when I went on my little monologue about how much I respect Dabo, I want people to understand my thought process about the next few years with them and, and how I feel about them. And that is 
what they did to win back-to-back national championships. And I and I looked this up for my mailbag this week. And I'll do a, a little Andy trivia before we get out of here. Okay. So you you'll probably know these pretty easily. But who in the composite rankings, who was the lowest talent level to ever make the playoff? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, Cincinnati. Easy. Cincinnati okay. last year. Who was the least talented team to win a playoff game? Oregon. Uh, it was Clemson at 13. Okay. Interesting. So that, that Oregon team that won a playoff game in 2014 was more yeah, I think I think, th- yes. Um, and then, who was the lowest rated team ever to win a national championship. That was Clemson in 2016, right? That's right. So you just could go through it without knowing. Yeah. Um, and now I've got to double check because it actually might be Oregon. You had me second guessing that there. That that Oregon team had some good players, but like I they weren't highly rated players. DeForest and, Buckner, I don't think was a highly was as highly yes. rated recruit as he wound up being a good player. Like he But even he even if it player. is Oregon, the point stands. Yeah, yeah. You have a team that won a playoff game with the 13th most talented roster in the country, and you have a team that won a national championship with number nine. Um, and those are the two lowest or second to lowest you've ever done. So what Dabo Sweeney has already done in building his program, would you say, is against the odds a little bit? Or, or they were underdogs yeah, to do I would, what they did? It, now, there was definitely a model to it because they they would mix players who had offers from literally everyone. That's your Christian Wilkins and those guys. And then they would find the diamonds in the rough, the Hunter Renfro's that that nobody knew about. And and it was actually, you know, that remember yeah, that what they did clearly worked. Remember you know? that old Coastal Carolina coach is like, I need a dog. I don't I don't want a bunch of kitty cats. I, I, yeah. I need a dog. He is the one who tipped the the Clemson coaches off about Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's a fun <laughs> yep. fact. But anyway, so winning a playoff game with the ninth most talented team and winning the national title with the 13th most talented team regardless of whether they had a successful uh you know potion that got them there is beating the odds so my thing with the clemson is they can't sustain doing that every single year because they are the exception to the stars matter rule mm-hmm. and eventually in order to maintain the alabama like track record which is to be elite every single year you can't continually beat the odds every single year. Like I feel like Clemson beat the house two years in a row with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence as their quarterback. But like gambling, the longer you play, the more likely it is that you lose. And now we're looking at them in the um, you know the 2022 composite, and they're five, which is really good for what they've been doing. But as they continue to recruit, I wonder the next few years if they're going to be falling back into that 7, 9, 11 range. And once that happens, then all bets are off to continue to be who you are. So that's why I've been down on them because the talent accumulation combined with the idea of uh, how they handle the portal, which as you mentioned is evolving, I think is going to be very critical to watch. That said, they're still a very good football team this year and will probably make the playoff because the committee is going to put the, uh, the team that has no losses, in my opinion, in, especially if it has that the tiger paw on their helmet. One, um, one more thing before we go, though. Lester has a great question in the chat. Which team would Tennessee want to come out of the SEC West, LSU or Bama? And so, Bama, Bama, Bama. No, Bama. LSU, and I'll tell you why. Either one of them has to take one more loss because they play each other. If you're Tennessee and you lose to Georgia, you want the team that Georgia is definitely going to beat. So oh, that, that you I don't have he, a chance oh, come of the West of team the beating SEC Georgia, West. right? You oh. don't want it. You, you want the the smallest chance of the West champ beating Georgia. So the so the question is the the SEC championship hasn't been played. So right, yeah. Like my thought process was Tennessee's best sales point was we didn't just beat Bama, we beat good Bama, and the yeah. other only other team that beat Bama this year is the team that is going to the playoff from the SEC. Like, to me, that's a more compelling sales pitch. Like, I almost feel like you might roll the dice there and hope Alabama kicks the crap out of everybody. Georgia beats them by three. And then all of a sudden you have that, that, because that's going to be their whole, Tennessee's entire resume at this point is going to be predicated on winning that football They also beat the crap out of LSU. And if LSU beats Alabama, and then 
goes and plays Georgia and loses, then they could probably harness the LSU one too. But exactly. But so the I, brand think, I think they're in good shape either the way. The way the brain works in 2022, your sales pitch is, hey, we beat good Bama is the best sales pitch that yeah. anybody can have in a playoff Here, race. Here's, so that, here's the easiest thing. Just beat Georgia. Just beat yeah. Georgia and get yourself in the position well, actually, that Georgia probably, was in going to the SEC championship game last year. That was probably harder. It is harder, but <laughs> if they if they beat Georgia, they are Georgia going into the SEC championship game. Like they could look And that's the thing tw- about playing in the SEC, right? You don't have to have a, a traditional power on your helmet. If you're unbeaten and you beat Georgia and Alabama along the way, you could you could carry a loss in the SEC championship game and still be the shoe in to get in, right? It would be it would be the same situation as Georgia last year, but would they get the benefit of the doubt that Georgia got because they aren't Georgia? Yes, they would I because agree. Of the, because of the yeah. schedule they played. I agree. And with you. I mean, they even they even tried to play a really hard out of conference game. I, Pitt's not cooperating, but they tried. Yeah. So no, it's like the one thing they can't do is get their doors blown off by Georgia. Right. And the thing that I will say is they can't lose to Kentucky either. And this no. might be a close game this weekend because Kentucky. I think I read a stat somewhere that they've gone like eight or nine games in a row or something crazy like that, holding their opponents to 24 yes. points or That's less. Exactly, you're the second person to bring that set up to me. I do. I, I think Kentucky-Tennessee is going to be a, a very interesting game this weekend. This is Kentucky's Super Bowl. They're mostly healthy. Levis is back. We'll talk about that a lot when yeah. you and Nicole and I get together to pick games against the spread because I have a feeling that's a game we're going to have to really chew on for a little bit. Uh, but we've also... Uh, Nicole's got a story coming out Friday that... Ties into something we've been talking about a lot this week, and it'll be a game that we never would talk about on the on the pick show normally, but we're going to talk about it on this pick show, which I cannot wait for. Ari, steps on. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> we'll talk to you later.